welcome back to episode four of the Fearless Flyer. Today we're going to be going over the four basic forces of flight. Lift, weight, thrust, and drag. The last episode, episode three, we went over aircraft design, testing, and lift. We got to discuss what commercial aircraft uh, designers go into and what they think about when designing aircraft. We also went into a bit about lift, and we talked about the lift formula, which is to do with the coefficient of the wing, the density of the air, how fast you're going, and the wing area. Obviously, if you want to learn more about that, go back and listen to episode three. Now, let's show Grant. How are you, Grant? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, James. I enjoyed the last episode. It was quite an eye-opener. We had a question from one of our uh, listeners about the coefficient of lift. And just to expand a little bit more about that part of it, it's the number given to a wing at the design stage. So when they get a wing, they do a whole lot of tests on it, and they also test how it affects with this angle as the airflow hits it. And it's given a coefficient of lift number. And obviously, a wing will have a a better number than, say, a brick. And that's what the coefficient of lift is. Just to finish up on lift to help people out, the lift over a wing, it's not uniform. What there is, is different parts of the wing that are creating different amounts of lift towards the front of the wing that called the leading edge creates a lot of lift but towards the back there's less lift but the average amount of lift over the wings called the center of pressure and that's a term we use so that's where the average lift over a wing is so that's a point going straight up and like you say lift opposes weight so carry on with weight there james Sweet as. So today in episode four, we're going over the four basic forces, lift, weight, thrust, and drag. And we've already discussed lift in the previous episode, so we're mainly going to be focusing on weight, thrust, and drag. That's my understanding that lift is the complete opposite of weight as such, and they work completely opposite, well, opposite directions in a sense. Now, it is my understanding with weight that it acts towards the center of the earth and basically what i'm going to ask is does that weight sort of like change during flight and does that affect lift during flight yeah well yes it does and you are correct weight does act towards the center of the earth i mentioned before with regard to lift there's an average lift area called the center of pressure or on an airplane there's an average area called the center of gravity we term that c of g and this would be a single point on an aircraft where you you could pick it up and it would be balanced. So imagine picking a ruler up, uh, bang in the middle and the ruler's level. That's like your center of gravity. So if you pick the ruler up to one side, it falls down. So this point during flight is called the center of gravity. Now it does change. It changes with passengers moving around and it also changes with fuel burning off. And it does affect the stability of the airplane. So if you imagine your ruler, you pick it up in the center and you move your ruler slightly to side one way, the end with more ruler to it from your finger will actually go down a bit. But if you move it too far, it will fall down. So we have specified limits both forward and aft on an airplane at which we have to keep the center of gravity in. There's also another artificial weight that we have in an aeroplane that's called load factor. And generally, you'd very rarely feel this. However, when a plane turns, we increase the load factor. So if we are, say, in a 60-degree bank angle, uh, you'd have a sensation of being pushed into your seat. And in actual fact, at a 60-degree angle of bank, if you were standing on scales, you would weigh twice as much. So that's called a load factor of 2, or what we call 2G, 2 times gravity. 
So that's it for a 60 degree bank angle. We limit all our flying to a maximum of 30 degrees and that gives a load factor of 1.15. So if you stood on scales, you'd weigh 15% more than what you weigh if the plane was flying level. At 15 degrees, it's slightly less, it's 1.03 and 45 degrees, nearly one and a half. So a hard landing has the effect of being pushed into your seat and that's like an increase in the load factor. Conversely, the opposite is that you can have zero G whereby the aircraft and you are weigh zero, but we'll talk about that in another episode. So you've got your CAG, which does move and it's got prescribed limits by the manufacturer. It does move during flight with passenger moving. It's also a part of our pre-loading of the aeroplane. Everything is calculated to make sure we're within those limits. And as we burn fuel off, it doesn't go outside of those limits. So aircraft have weight limits to them, they have G-load limits, they have hard landing limits, and these are all specified by the manufacturer. So that's weight in a nutshell. Lovely. And those are center of gravity. I'm assuming an analogy, if say you've got a small plane, which we'll call a small, a plastic small ruler, and we put a 100 gram weight on it, if we now move that weight around and you balance it, I'm sure I've done this in, in school at some point, just balancing a ruler on the edge of the table. If you move that 100 gram weight, it's going to have quite a uh, profound effect because it's obviously a light ruler. But then if we get a, a brick of the same length and we balance that and now we put a 100 gram weight on, it's going to affect it a, a lot less. So I'm assuming what I'm trying to say is the larger the aircraft, the smaller, like a passenger, a person walking around, the smaller difference they're going to make to yes. center of no gravity. Ex- exactly we can have people walking around the airplane and you hardly notice it the same with the fuel burn off it does change due to where the fuel tanks are but it's very subtle having said that some aircraft have fuel tanks right in the tail as well and so they're very heavy to start off near the tail limit but they burn that fuel off first so it moves the center of gravity forward but the larger the aircraft it has an ability to have a larger range of its center of gravity limits so yes yeah, just so, uh yeah reassure the past listeners they aren't gonna crash a plane by walking around whilst in cruise <laughs> yeah well the thing is we pre-allocate the seats so if your plane's not full we pre-allocate the seats and we ask that people stay in those because that's where the plane's being balanced up before takeoff but people will move around and it doesn't matter if a number of people move around but say and a half empty airplane We'd balanced it so people were sitting at the back and everyone decided to go and sit in the front, it would cause problems. So people should stay in the allocated seats. But during pre-departure, some people want to move around. It's not that big an issue. Yeah, we had had that issue working here in New Zealand when we were doing check-in, especially on the smaller turboprops, people wanting to change seats on light loads. There we go. So just to sum everything up, lift and weight, two opposing forces. And within those, there are quite a lot of different variables that go into an aircraft and how they work. Next, I think you want to discuss thrust. Yeah, thrust. Okay, well, everyone, thrust is the same as what's provided from your car when you put your foot on the accelerator. So thrust, it provides a forward motion, and we can use any number of things from propellers, jet engines, or rockets. Most people will be familiar with either propellers or jet engines. And the principle is quite simple. You push here backwards so you can go forwards. So it's uh, Newton's law. And so for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So air goes one way, you go the other. So 
That's the interesting thing about engines. We can also get thrust indirectly, say, from a glide. So if we close the engines down, we're changing our vector, and now the only thing providing thrust is essentially gravity. So that's kind of like an indirect form of thrust. But having a look at another thing, thrust can also be opposite to weight directly. And an extreme example is a rocket. So a rocket, the thrust from the rocket engine is going straight up and it's it's lifting the weight and it's providing the acceleration. Yeah, so basically, so you've got lift and weight that are the opposite, the opposite, and now we've got thrust and drag that are the complete opposite. I believe you also wanted to discuss drag. Yeah, so drag's opposite to thrust. If there was no drag, we'd need probably tiny engines, so it's not the case. We do have drag, and it's the resistance of an aircraft to move through the air, so that's why we need the thrust to overcome this drag, and hence why having as little drag as possible is something a, a aircraft designer has on the top of his priority. And everyone's familiar with drag. It's just the airflow going past your window on the car. If you put your hand out, you can feel the wind hitting your hand, and it's also hitting the car and trying to slow it down. And thrust is helping overcome that drag. And when you're going down a hill, you don't need thrust because you can just take your foot off the gas and the, the car will accelerate. But it will only accelerate up to a point. Obviously, the steeper the hill, the more gravity works to overcome drag. So to confuse the matter, there are two types of drag. There's parasite drag and induced drag. So parasite drag is the drag that doesn't help towards lift. And there's two parts of that. There's form drag, which is simply the shape of a fuselage moving through the air. So if you look at a fuselage, in essence, it's a big cylinder. If you didn't have the pointy ends on the front or back, as airflow hit that front of that cylinder, it would create a heck of a lot of turbulence. And also you'd get a lot of eddies at the rear of the cylinder as it moves forward. So a designer streamlines it by making it nice and pointy at the front and nice and pointy at the rear of the aircraft. And that there helps streamline the airflow so it smoothly goes around the cylinder or the fuselage in this case. And that's how one of the ways that they reduce form drag. Those areas in the front of the aircraft and the rear, they aren't wasted. The front generally has items in it for navigation, for landing, and also weather radar. And at the back, they normally put a device in another engine cord, an APU, an auxiliary power unit, but more on that in another time. So yeah, form drag. Also, another form of parasite drag is the landing gear, and hence why we retract the landing gear after takeoff, because it's not needed and it would just cause a lot of drag. The second part of parasite drag is skin friction, which is simply when air flows over a body, it tends to want to cling to it. Hence, we like to keep our aeroplanes shiny and clean, and they clean quite regularly. Some interesting facts about parasite drag with regard to skin friction just towards the end of this episode here. The other part of drag is induced drag, and that's caused by an aerofoil creating lift. So for a plane to create lift, the wing has to support the weight of the aeroplane, and so it's got a displaced air downwards so it can stay up. So in essence, we have a lower pressure on the top of the wing and a higher pressure on the bottom. And as a result, the airflows do some really weird stuff. Uh, the top airflow wants to flow in and the bottom wants to flow out. It creates little eddies at the back of the wing. And at the wingtip, it's really a big eddy. It's called a, a vortex or a wingtip vortex. 
and this is the wing while it's creating lift, the air spills around the bottom to the top and it causes a disturbance, uh, which we'll talk a lot more about in a episode called wake turbulence. And it's uh, one of the reasons why you see aircraft with winglets because it helps reduce this drag. And this drag has quite a significant effect on an aircraft and also obviously turbulence from aircraft following it. The interesting thing is the faster the aircraft goes, the less of this eddy type drag or induced drag there is. I've got a good video I put in the show notes. It's about a 30 second video of a plane coming out of a cloud on approach. And you'll see quite clearly the uh, wingtip vortices. It looks really good, but it gives you a good idea as to what's going on there. So where the lowest points of this induced drag and the profile drag meet, that's our minimum drag speed. And obviously, the higher we go, the atmosphere gets thinner and we subsequently get less drag. So that might be a good reason why we fly so high. Yeah, and just touching that video thing, I believe manufacturers, when they create aircraft, they put them like scale models of what they want to create into a sort of wind tunnel with steam to see that same effect as when you come out the clouds and they can see how the air is coming off the wing just to make sure it's coming off more smoothly than being a real turbulent. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, they do try and make them as smooth as possible. And they obviously want to reduce as much drag as possible, because then if you can reduce a lot of drag, you don't need as bigger engines. And also without bigger engines, you don't need as much thrust. So you're more fuel efficient. So drag's a really important thing to try and overcome. Interestingly, we talked about the skin friction before. As air gets slowed down and it hits the aircraft, it causes the air to compress. Now, on the Boeing 777 iFly at 85% the speed of sound, we see a temperature rise of 14%. So if the air temperature outside is uh, minus 53 degrees centigrade, that's minus 64 Fahrenheit, the air temperature where it hits the wing will actually be minus 21 degrees C or minus 6F. So that's a 32 degree centigrade or 90 degree Fahrenheit rise in temperature. And to go to an extreme, the Concorde, it got a rise on the wing leading edge and the nose of around 150 degrees centigrade when it was in the cruise. That's 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Doing my research, the SR-71, which is American military aircraft, I think it's, is it still the fastest aircraft ever to be on the planet? I think uh, it was. I think very... so. Yeah, it, it gets a, it could get up to a temperature rise on the leading edge of up to 482 degrees centigrade, which is really hot. <laughs> For a Fahrenheit, friends, it's 900 degrees Fahrenheit. And when the space shuttle or rockets return, they literally glow red as the air starts to hit the structure at the speed they're doing. The temperature rise is, is phenomenal. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, the heat shields that slow them down. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's really good. And obviously, we'll put a link in the show notes to a diagram to show how these four forces, so you can visually see how they affect an yeah. aircraft. So coming back to our aircraft, say during the cruise at cruise altitude, all these four forces are in balance. And the fact that the aircraft is getting lighter due to fuel burn is very subtle. And as we mentioned earlier, people moving around very subtle in a large aircraft. We make these forces go out of balance to change the direction of the aircraft. So say when we go to descend, we reduce the thrust. And as a consequence, the aircraft either slows down if we try to maintain altitude or we put the nose down a bit and that keeps our speed. Thereby, we're trading off altitude for the maintenance of our speed to overcome the drag that's still there. So in essence, we manipulate these forces to maneuver our aircraft around. So the real force that you will feel in an aeroplane is obviously the acceleration on takeoff. 
with the thrust going up so we can increase our speed, overcoming our drag. The big one for you folk listening is in a turn, you might feel a little heavier in a turn. You're very subtle, but that's the reason why. So when an airplane goes into a 25, 30 degree bank angle turn, you'll just feel a little bit heavier in a turn. So that's the big thing to take out of these four forces moving today. Thanks for the summary there, Grant. So those are the four basic forces that affect every aircraft. Lift, weight, drag, and thrust. Did you want to uh, say anything else about uh, those forces? No, that pretty much sums up. If you've got any questions, don't hesitate to contact us. So we're going into the next episode. What's that going to be, James? So on next episode, episode five, we're going into the basic controls of an aircraft. So we're looking into the ailerons, which is how an aircraft turns left or banks left to right. The elevator, which is how it pitches up and down, and the rudder, which uh, controls the side-to-side motion. We're also going to go and discuss the fly-by-wire systems that are in modern aircraft, which help pilots, and speed brakes, which are another flight control on the aircraft to help them slow down and spoil left. Anyway, it's a goodbye from me. All of our contact details will be in the show notes below, uh, including our social media pages, so check them out. And we hope to see you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Thanks very much for listening. Don't hesitate to contact us if you've got any more questions. Mm -hmm.